Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. We're excited uh, to be digging into a passage that is uh, challenging, uh, certainly for me, uh, here in episode 15, where we're looking at Mark chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 24, uh, talking about this Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman and Jesus' interaction. It begins there and says, Jesus left and went to the region near the town of Tyre, where he stayed in someone's home. He did not want people to know he was there, but they found out anyway. A woman whose daughter had an evil spirit in her heard where Jesus was, and at once she came and knelt down at his feet. The woman was Greek and had been born in the part of Syria known as Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to force the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said the children must first be fed. It isn't right to take away their food and feed it to dogs. The woman replied, Lord, even puppies eat the crumbs that children drop from the table. Jesus answered, that's true. You may go now. The demon has left your daughter. When the woman got back home, she found her child lying on the bed. The demon had gone. So, Jason, what amazes you about this passage? What what amazes me about this, this interaction, number one, and this is more of the lower-hanging fruit, but his power is so comprehensive. Mm. Like a lot of times when I when I hear about healings today, it's you got to do it in a certain way and you got to have a certain belief system. And there's no sense that this daughter believes at all, Hmm. you know, that she has an inkling of faith or even knows who Jesus is. And thought about that. And, and he doesn't have to be there. He didn't have to touch her. There's no, there's no fanfare. It's just Hmm. like bang, bang. I mean, when Jesus decides something is done, it's done. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, even with supernatural things, we try to make it fit our rules yeah. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. And so that's amazing to me. It is amazing. Especially, man, when you think about, we've talked about this in other, I think other episodes, like the timing of Jesus, when he heals, when he doesn't, how quickly he does, how quickly he doesn't. And just how quickly he alters this, the, the, the daughter's life and this mother's life. There's a sense from the passage that this is something that this mother has been trying to help her daughter with f- for a long time, for possibly years at this point. And it's always a good reminder for me when I see these things of of how quickly Jesus can change thing change things in an absolute instant. So for me, what what amazes me is I was reading um, I was reading a, a popular uh, theologian about this passage, and he made the statement that this is one of the first people, especially in the Gospel of Mark, to get a parable of Jesus. And we'll we'll dive in a little bit deeper, I assume, into what. We think what, what what Jesus is trying to say here and what this woman understands, but the woman fully gets what Jesus is trying to lay down here. And not only does she understand, but she responds in kind. Like she goes into the cleverness, into the world of Jesus and responds in his words, in his terms. Uh, so this is a, a brilliant woman. She, I, I think she's certainly smarter than most of the uh, most of the, the, the disciples because she gets what Jesus is saying. And she also comes at it at the same exact level of Jesus. And that's just amazing. That is. 
I think this is this is a complicated. Obviously, the challenge of this passage at face value is he calls a woman a dog. Yeah. So so it's like, hey, I don't know when that was acceptable, but it doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And so that that is such an interesting thing, and and it's a reoccurring theme that we find in the New Testament that, um, she is picking up on something. It, it's like the the criminal on the cross. Yeah. Here's this person that hasn't spent every day with Jesus for the last three years, potentially never, you know, had an interaction with him. Mm-hmm. And yet he is tracking with Jesus's purpose more than the people that are living with him all the time. Yeah. Um, and you find a similar dynamic with this woman. I, I think the if you think how many times the apostles are like, does he mean we should get bread? Does he, you yeah. know, what I mean, they're, they're so dull about things. What I do, what I, what I think is really interesting here, like you said, the criminal on the cross and, and this woman, they're all in out groups, right? Like mm-hmm. they're all not a part of the system. They're all, uh, they're all people that the system would, system does reject and, and would reject. And, and I think it's really fascinating. And I think it happens in our lives too. There are people who are outside of the group, right? Outside of who we would consider the, um, the okay ones, the saved ones, the the good people. There are some of those sorts of people that get the things that Jesus is saying sometimes better than people who are in the group. Yeah, I think so, and I and I think that's interesting. In um in other versions, I think or in other gospels, I believe Matthew talks about uh, when Jesus responds to the woman. An added thing that he says to her is, "You have great faith." And what's interesting is, if you think about his interactions with the apostles, what's he usually say around their faith? Oh, you have little faith. Mm-hmm. If you just had faith as big as a mustard seed. And yet he's acknowledging she has big faith. And and the reason here is, is because she has more reason to be offended. She has more reason to be put off. She has more reason not to trust. And yet she will not be shut down. Yeah. She believes in him so much, she presses through. And I think that is that is just an amazing dynamic. And and the takeaway for me is I will often think, okay, now I'm going to learn spiritual things because I'm in a church building. Now I'm going yeah. to learn spiritual – I'm going to learn things about God because I'm in a specific conversation. The, the disciple of Christ is always learning. Mm-hmm. God has taught me through movies, <laughs> music yeah. videos – random conversations. I've seen commercials and I'm like, wait a minute, I've never thought about that. And immediately see God, the true disciple of Christ is always learning. And and I think this this is this touches on that dynamic of, you know, we we think it will go like this. Certainly we would think if you introduce the subject of call the person a dog, that's going to be the end of the conversation. You know what I mean? Sure. But he again is fine tuning the conversation to where she lives, knowing that she will be able to Re- that that it will resonate with her in a certain mm-hmm. way. So you mentioned something there, and I think I think it's I think it's really important that followers of Jesus, man, when we're truly living in the truth that Jesus is who He says He is, and that God created all of our, all of this around us, and that and we've talked about this in previous episodes that we can see God in, in all of these different areas, in in art and in culture, we we can see it in in so many different ways. Um, for you, what does that look like? You mentioned like, oh, I've heard a song or I've seen a music video and I've seen seen God in this context where I normally wouldn't see. Can you give any like examples of, of what that would what that would look like? Right. So let me see if I hit your hit your sure. question here. So this happens a lot in movies where I'll be watching I remember years ago I was watching the Dead Poet Society. And and in many ways that was kind of a darker 
movie, and you could say it's humanistic, the dynamic seizing the day and this kind of thing. But it inspired me. What I saw in Robin Williams, I was like, this is a guy that is courageous, and he's impacting people. And I realized I am not courageous. I always, when I say something, I want there to be validation from everybody, you know? And yet he was so convicted that that he kept seeing it through to the cost of him losing his job. Mm. But he had impact, you know, and it was messy impact. Um, you know, like I don't no spoilers here, but somebody <laughs> kills himself in the show, you know what I mean? So it's so it's 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 a messy thing, but I thought, man, I see there's something in this character's portrayal that I lack. I lack that, and I have an even stronger message than just seize the day. Yeah. You know, and I learned something about discipleship there about don't be afraid if you're not Im- immediately understood. Like when he's standing on, t- on that desk and saying, you know, quoting this thing, mm-hmm. no, everybody's oh, captain, like, my captain. Yeah, you're, you're freaking out. But then at the end, when the students stand up, they catch it. See, because I was always convinced if I say something and you don't get it immediately, I'm a bad teacher. Yeah. So God used that movie to teach me. Now, it doesn't supersede the Bible. Uh, you know, I <laughs> yeah. mean, a lot of times people say, well, if you're learning from Dead Poets Society, then you must not believe in the Bible. I'm mm-hmm. like, no. G- God uses everything. And I mean, mm-hmm. the irony of this is if you're listening to Jesus, you're like, why Why aren't you just quoting the Old Testament? That's good. Why are you telling all these parables? Yeah. It, there's so much opportunity for people to confuse these parables. And then Jesus is like, yeah, I tell them so people won't understand. A lot of times I think people will see something like that. I'm like, well, that's just Jesus. And so that doesn't really, that doesn't pertain to anything we have. And so, you know, I just have to take these, these exact literal, these, these words and they're the only thing that matter. And if that's the mindset, why do we have even have preachers? Why do we have people even giving sermons? Because Mm -hmm. if like we, if all we need is this and no illustrations, no nothing, no art, no culture, then there'd be no need to listen to a sermon or to listen to a podcast. Well, and, and the irony is we're called to be like Jesus. Yeah. And I think what we say in our mind's eye, be like Jesus means be perfect. Yeah. Never sin. And that's not, we're told we're going to sin. So th- this is really interesting. I've, I've, I, like I grew up reading The Lord of the Rings. And just recently, I've kind of got back into diving into, into that world and, um, and reading about it and watching videos. And if you could look on YouTube, there is a vast, like massive culture of people creating different Lord of the Rings mythology videos explaining this, talking about this. What if this happens? What if that happens? Or what if Gandalf did this? Or what if Gandalf did that? And I mean, it's just, there's thousands upon thousands of videos with thousands of views. And it all comes from this world that this guy created 60-ish years ago. And for me, even 60 years now, 20 years past the movie, it's evoking these feelings in people, people who don't even necessarily believe in God, but yet see the trueness of the friendship of Sam and Frodo or see the courage of, of, of Aragorn. Like they, they see all these things. And even for people who don't believe underlying it, they, they respect and there's something that draws them to these, to these messages that are found throughout this book and through these movies. And that I, I don't, I was kind of hesitant to use that example because like J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian and was using it not as a strict allegory, but he was using it in that sort of way. But you can find it, like you said, in, in secular projects and in all sorts of areas. Yeah. And see, here, here's why. If, if you really want to say when, when the Ecclesiastes, when Solomon says God has placed eternity in every heart, 
that eternity is not a statement of time or absence of time. That 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 word there means this idea of longing for something more, this this deeper, this sense of there's something greater than this, you know. And so, if I'm a writer and I don't believe in God, and I want to write a story that that people will want to watch, and and it will almost always have redemption, yeah, in it. It will almost always have deep hope. It'll almost always have it have some crisis that seems insurmountable, and then some out of the box answer, and then there'll be a resolution. I mean, there are obviously people. I think Tarantino likes to say, "I will crush your hope." Yeah, you know, but but in in some ways, but it. But vast majority of, of movies that mm-hmm. or books that speak to us are these things. Well, the the person that says there is no God was still created by God. Mm-hmm. He still has the same longings that God put in. And so an author will create or, or a playwright will create a or a screenplay writer, I guess, will create a world of hope yeah. that they wish was. So they're tapping into that longing for God while denying God. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and, of course, they don't do it perfectly because they're not aligned with God. They're not thinking of the things but ne- of God. But neither do we. Well, that's true, too. We yeah. wouldn't do it perfectly either. And that's why you can find it in almost anything. Um, you know, or, or let's say they write it. I remember what was, there was a movie that came out, and it ended, like, terribly. Like, all the good things didn't happen, like, purposely. Mm-hmm. It was a Tim Robbins movie. And it was like, man, he... he um, He's doing this on purpose. Yeah. Like, this is almost like, what if the devil wins movie? You know, so even in that, you're like, oh, I see what he's doing there. Yes, absolutely. So lots of ways to learn. So let's get to the perplexing part of perplexing things. Thing. So mine's yes. a, my perplexing is a little bit in a different angle. We'll come back to the kind of main focus. But earlier in verse, uh, the first verse we read in verse 24 um, it says Jesus left that place and went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but he couldn't hide. I love the Im- I, I am amazed and love the image of Jesus trying to hide from people, but I'm also perplexed because you go back a little bit if, if you read um, a little bit before that and maybe a chapter before that. There's this constant refrain that Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, or Jesus goes to do this, and then these people show up and he's got to feed him, or then people show up and he's got to heal him, and, and then this woman shows up and he's got to heal him. And it's 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 both comforting to know that Jesus needed to rest, but it's also perplexing the idea of Jesus needing trying to hide from people. Jesus mm-hmm. trying to like get like purposely like stay away from people that need him. And that's just a really perplexing thought to me. Yeah. And and the idea of he's when he says he came to give himself as ransom, that doesn't mean he loses his humanity. Yeah. He has a need to pull back and, and you and I out outside of this podcast we're talking about Sabbath and the need to mm-hmm. Sabbath. I think we feel so, well, this is a waste of time. I've got stuff to be productive in. Yeah. You know, and Jesus models at, at a cost even of momentum. Mm. Like he'll be, he'll have momentum and say, now I'm going to separate myself from the group. And I'm like, well, that's not good strategy. Yeah. You know, and he's showing how important that is. I, if, if you were going to lead a church plant, mm-hmm. you started off three months, it started rocketing, it's in this new area, it's, you've got all the best stuff, there's tons of people coming, people love your preaching, like, okay, I'm going to take a two-month sabbatical now, I'll, I'll be right, you know, I'll be back, like, that would be, <laughs> whoever funded you would be, you know, upset and angry, and I'm not necessarily saying that that would be the, 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 the Jesus way, that particular path, but it is that sort of, it does paint that sort of picture. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I, I think for me the the thing that that perplexes me is the what we hit head on is this idea of him talking 
to her in a way that at face value seems extremely condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just like there is a thousand ways to say this. And certainly you're the smartest man to ever walk the earth. You could think of it. You know, yeah. you, you've got to have a choose your own adventure list of responses you could give to her that could still make the point. Like, like he could have said easily, hey, you know, I'm here for, for the Jews. That That's who I'm here for. But I honor you. Yeah, I mean, you know, he could have, and and it's and and once I can consider that, there's a thousand variants on how he could have responded. So to respond in a way that certainly in our ears mm-hmm. um, seems very confronted. Oh, absolutely, and I think even more so in their ears. Like for us, like most a lot of people have like a pet dog. Like Jason, do you have you have, you have a pet dog, right? Sadly, sadly, <laughs> I've had growing up. I had lots of pet dogs that we we. Some are okay, some some are not. Um, <laughs> but for us, like you know, we'll like my wife and I will sit on the couch scrolling funny dog videos and funny you know, just funny pet mm-hmm. videos. Yeah, that was not that was like not the case during this time two thousand years ago in this particular region. Dogs were not seen necessarily as household pets. They were marauding gangs that would hunt, that would um, that would get in the trash, that would cause all sorts of problems. Yes, um, and so it's even worse than we think. Because if you go up to a woman, you call her like a dog, like you, you should you probably should get slapped we're actually going to talk a little bit later about you know maybe turning the other cheek so i don't know what the the significance there is but like if i go up to a woman and i say you're like compare her to a dog i should expect to maybe have some sort of some sort of repercussion but if i go up to a woman and say you know basically you're you're basically a marauding um feral vicious vicious animal yeah uh, Yeah. like uh, like animal like i I would like something even worse should happen and Mm. i think that's that's the picture that i think we should all have in our minds when we when we think about this Uh, especially the particular group that this woman belongs to there is a lot of animosity between this group and and the jewish people And, and so there's just so much tension in this situation and like you said it is perplexing the the situation is very contentious between this Jew and this Gentile. Actually, the first thing that happens in this conversation is this woman initially humbles herself before this Jewish man, mm-hmm. and Jesus ups the tension. And that is, I get why he does it, but it's still, it is perplexing. Why did it have to happen this way? Mm-hmm. Okay, so just popped into my head. This is what Jesus wanted to happen with the rich young ruler. He wanted the rich young ruler to come to a point where he was like, I can't do this. That's offensive. I would know. And then not give up. Mm-hmm. And this woman, he he's playing along stereotype. Like he didn't create this idea of dogs. It yeah. Was like, you know, like, like I think you said earlier, you know, this was common that Jews looked at Gentiles as the worst of the worst, you know, because, than, yeah. because they had mixed they had they had tasted the goodness of God, but then they distorted it, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And so he's playing along that stereotype. Uh, and I think there's another thing he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to accomplish there, but but he's playing along that stereotype, and he's he's testing her to say, "Who who am I to you? Yeah, am I a magician that if I offend you, you'll just walk away, or is there something more about your belief? Mm-hmm. You know." And, and like I go back to that idea, when, when he says you have great faith, I think he's looking for the opportunity, and I think he's looking for the same in us. Hmm. He's looking for the opportunity for us to show great faith. But we can't show great faith if it's smooth. Yeah. 
In other words, for me to say, man, Christ Church is strong now. Christ Church is vibrant and it's growing in the middle of COVID when all of the statistics are saying church attendance is dying off and churches will be shutting down. That's so much easier than if we're having the best time ever in our church, you know, and we're just growing. There's a pattern, I think, that you find through the Gospels and even through the whole book of the Bible that oftentimes humiliation precedes breakthrough. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, it happens with Peter. Um, It happens with this woman where a lot of times, I mean, this is always a scary, I mean, this is like legit a scary thing for me. Oftentimes for breakthrough with God, he has to take things down to the studs and has Mm -hmm. to reorient the group, the person back to what he made them for. Um, And I, I think... I think that I think that's what I think that's what Jesus was after with the rich young ruler. And I think I think you're right. I think this is what he was after with this woman and she accomplished it. She was successful. So the the natural the natural question here we we kinda of talked a bit about it, we talked around it. Why do you think Jesus calls this woman a dog? I think like I said before, I think there's multiple reasons. I, I do think there's a big if he'd said to her, "Hey, you know, I usually don't do this because I'm, I'm, my mission is to the is to the Jews, but I'm going to make an exception for you because I see you're a nice lady and you love your kid." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is a way he could oh, handle it. Oh, basically tokenizing this woman. He he, he does. I mean, it's, yeah. it's in many ways demeaning, but she misses the opportunity to show her faith in front of a rabbi, from her perspective, a rabbi, maybe not the Messiah, but Mm -hmm. somebody that's a true rabbi and she believes has power from God, and to be affirmed. She misses the opportunity to be affirmed. And we cannot minimize that. How many times in your life was a well-placed affirmation a game-changer for how you think about yourself Mm -hmm. and for how even how you think about God and how you think about progression. So that's the first thing I think of is he's setting this up for her betterment. Yeah. Again, back to the contrast to rich young ruler. Had the rich young ruler said, man, I, I wouldn't even know how to do this. I'm in control of everything in my life, but to give everything away, mm-hmm. I wouldn't know how to do that. Can you help me? He would have experienced, you talk about humiliation, then yeah. he would experience, I believe, the, the, one of the best experiences in his life. But he, he stopped prematurely Mm-hmm. and took it back on himself, whereas she could have said, well, then I'm taking my ball and going home if you're going to be ugly. You yeah. know? So that's first. The second thing is the disciples are present. We learned that earlier in the chapter. The disciples are with him. Mm-hmm. The disciples are, many of them to varying degrees, they carry the nationalist racism. Yeah. You know, And so for him to say something in front of to her with them hearing, and then her respond in great faith, and then him to acknowledge that faith. Yeah. That is a tremendous lesson for the disciples because we cannot forget when he calls them disciples, that means they are always in in a learning mode, or he wants them to be, and he is certainly always in a teaching mode. I think a lot of what Jesus is doing here is he's declaring to this woman, he's also declaring to his disciples and to us 2,000 years later, that that his kingdom, his his will, his purpose is not just for the in-group, not just for the Jewish people. It's f- for everybody. And, and yet, like you said, the disciples are there. Peter sees this. Peter sees like, this is, this is basically Jesus declaring that he is, he will be bringing his message. His message will go to the ends of the earth. Like that, this message is for the Gentile and the Jew. Like this is basically what Jesus does here. 
And yet a lot of the disciples don't get it. And so for me in my, like in my heart, like I, I see why Jesus does it. But like, for me, I'm, I still long for that. Like, man, if, if Jesus just could have been like turned around after he said it and after he said this to the woman and be like, okay, Peter, do you see why I'm doing this? Mm -hmm. Do you understand in my kingdom, just because you're part of this in group doesn't automatically mean that you're better than the person outside of the group. That's right. And, and, and woman property. Yeah. Non-Jew, they were born to fuel the fires of hell. <laughs> you know, so he couldn't have picked a better person mm -hmm. to watch. The, and think about this. Think about how eggshell the apostles are at times. Who, who's the greatest? Yeah. Who, who's the greatest? And he insults her. And she doesn't push back negatively. You know, she's not even like the woman at the well has said, well, I can see your prophet. Now I'm I'm putting intonation and inflection in her voice. But, sure. you know, she changed. Stuff. She's right there with him. Like you said earlier, she's tracking with him. And she's like, yeah, but this. And he's like, man, you are a person of great faith. Yeah. And you have to know the apostles are thinking in the back of their mind, oh, last time we talked, he said, oh, little faith. Yes. <laughs> and and oh, he's a great faith. No, that, that's really good. And, man, you have to imagine how intimidating this woman would be. So, like you said, a woman, non-Jew, and she's clearly very smart. Um, mm -hmm. How just like you wonder what the reaction of the disciple like was it a dismissive was it like like for many of us that are challenged by smarter people than us or challenged by people who are outside of our group is there was there a natural like well that's that's the, those people's things that's you know that's that's for them what I what I'm really what I think there's a really another level to this woman's cleverness um, and ultimately like credit to her humility is I, I was reading. Um, that oftentimes in the in this specific region, um, these Gentiles would be taking advantage of the local crops around the area. They would be taking advantage of um, of sometimes what Jewish people would produce, and and so bread would have possibly been a kind of filler phrase for the grain, for the crops, for for all these things mm. um, that. This this woman was, for a variety of reasons, we're pretty sure was probably more well off. She was probably financially a little bit better than people in this area tended to be. Um, and so she takes this thing that would have been a um, would have been a lightning rod. That there's this group of people that are outside the Jewish Jewish group that are taking advantage of Jewish people, and she takes it and she she basically puts herself in the lower position. She, she takes herself and she reorients herself and acknowledges her lower status um, and not lower status as a woman or lower status as, um, you know, in the image of God, but lower in status as, as basically any Christ follower should seek to do, should seek to be, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's this idea. You have this person that has no precedent modeling what a true disciple looks like. That's good. I will learn even if you call me a dog. I will stay in the game even if I feel insulted, mm -hmm. even if I deserve it. You know what's interesting to maximize this? I, I This just occurred to me in Matthew 15 when he's telling the story. When Matthew's telling the story, it says, Suddenly a Canaanite woman from there came out shouting, Lord, Lord and Son of David, have pity on me. My daughter's full of demons. Jesus did not say a word. Because and then you attach that to the Mark passage, mm -hmm. he's moving to privacy, but the woman kept following along and shouting. So the disciples came up and asked him to send her away. And so there's already there this what we were thinking. This yes. is probably how they were. Now we have confirmation that is how they were. They were very dismissive. 
which even further sets up. It, this reminds me of the blind man. That the Bible says, "Hey, Lord, you know, Lord, Lord Jesus, Son of David, come and heal me." And the crowd's like, "Shush, shush!" And he's like, "Bring him to me." And they're like, "Hey, come on!" <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like they are so wishy-washy. And the committed person in this story is who you'd usually see as the victim, or usually see as the weak one, the blind guy, this outsider woman. No, I think, man, I think that's, I think that's beautiful, and it's something. I think a lot of times when people talk about hearing from diverse sources or hearing from different perspectives i think for a lot of people and i can say this because it it was me in the past it comes off as like as some sort of a token sort of thing of oh i'm gonna do this because that's what i've heard is right or that's what you know that's what that's what the end people are doing that's what the cool people are doing but but i think for me over the past couple years as i've begun to take in you know podcasts from uh there's a podcast i listen to by a rabbi where just every year he walks through the torah and he just does it he, he incredibly different perspectives on perspective on the torah that i've never heard in my entire life and he's really opened up some different things in my in my walk with god one of the things that jesus announces when he brings his kingdom is that all of the people that you thought were on the outside are actually on the inside and i think for in my in my own heart there was a message that I was telling myself over and over and over again was that, yeah, those people are in like maybe they're saved or maybe they're, they're cool or nice people, but they're not in, in like you are Connor. And, and I think what Jesus does is he comes and he blows up this message that you're the in, in crowd and they're just kind of the in crowd. Mm-hmm. And when we can accept that, Hey, these are the people that Jesus was talking to the outside people, the people that aren't in our group are the people that Jesus wants us to be talking to, wants us to be hearing from, wants us to be engaging with. Man, it opens up so, so much of a bigger world. It would get to, and I'm I'm, I'm going to wrap up here in a second. It gets to like, this is always a struggle, and I, and I, I don't want to insult anybody because like I have I'm not a parent yet, but it reminds me of when parents, like Christian parents, only let their kids consume, you know, the Bible version of Star Wars or the Bible version of X, Y, I might take this out, the Bible version of whatever popular culture item is there and only watches VeggieTales and only reads, you know, the Bible pop-up books. I, I think when we limit ourselves and limit from, I mean, limit ourselves from very early on to a small group of people, it hurts others, but it's also a massive detriment to us and to our growth. I would, I would agree. I, I come from a, a heritage that oftentimes if you're reading a book by a certain author, uh, it makes you a suspect in your church circles. Mm-hmm. And it, I remember growing up with the terminology of, you know, you eat the fish and spit out the bones. And that was supposed to be like really cutting edge, you know, because prior to that, if you saw the book and you thought there might be bones in there, you weren't allowed to read it, which basically meant you could only read from Church of Christ authors. Yeah. And that's my my heritage. And so and then they would fight about who's the accepted Church of Christ author, and it became this really tense thing. It actually was a huge detriment to learning, yeah. you know, because it's just like, well, what if I come up with a different conclusion than the status quo, and then I'm mm-hmm. not with Jesus anymore, which is absolutely opposite of the Bible teaching anyway. The the thing that, that this speaks to is how powerful is your God? How creative is your God? How inventive and innovative is your God? Mm. You know, because if I say you can only speak through this one way, then basically I'm saying you're not creative and yeah. you're not innovative and you're not always new because 
you gave us the Bible, and that's it. Now, I want to be clear. The Bible is the Word of God that helps us discern any other messaging we get. Absolutely. Because we get a lot of false messaging, you know. But to go back and say, is this, number one, is this honoring the greatest command? Mm-hmm. And then from there, well, the greatest commands me to to love truth. So is this true? It, it encouraged me to do all these other things that, that are spelled out in the Bible. How do we handle our anger? How do we handle our relationships? And, and so the Bible is critical in our walk with God. Mm-hmm. It's simply saying if we have this almighty God that teaches all the time and he's the most creative being ever, yeah. Then to say, but I only learn from book, chapter, and verse, It not only does it seem to limit it, but it's not the way you see in the Bible. Based on that, Jesus would only quote the Old Testament. There's a sense for this woman that she has been trying to help her daughter for a long time. You have to imagine if she's willing to run up to a Jewish rabbi who she doesn't know, who is not a part of her culture, not a part of her group, you have to imagine she's taken this woman, her daughter, to different doctors, taking her to different healing healing men or women. You have to imagine she's trying to do every possible thing she can, get all the medicine that she possibly can, and yet her daughter is still possessed. Her da- daughter is still hurting and in pain. And I, I think there's a really interesting line here um, in my own life of pain. Pain is not a good thing. We don't worship pain. But I think a lot of times the beneficial part of pain can be that it pulls us in the it can pull us in the direction of humility. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the biggest gifts that this woman gives us is she takes the pain of her daughter that could have made her angry against the creator of the world, you know? And and a lot of our minds she go up to Jesus and and demand like what did my daughter ever do to deserve this? Why is this happening to her? This is not fair. Like if if you serve Yahweh, then why why is he allowing this to happen? Yes. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen to yes. kids? Why? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And this woman allows this pain that for lots of people it corrupts and it and it dig, drives you deeper and she uses it as an escape line to humility and to accepting Jesus as somebody who has power, as somebody who has wisdom and who has strength and i think that's that's the biggest encouragement for me um is is are there areas of my life where things are particularly painful or maybe even humiliating that jesus is wanting to use those things to draw me into humility yeah as i step away from this i think the the lesson that that is really um resonating with me is that I have a certain expectation of how things will go and I can't help it. (laughs) You know, it's just the nature of me being human and feeling like, oh, this will go like it went last time. And God is not interested in my predicting his, you know, next steps. And he wants to develop a process in me that I am open to learning in however he's willing to teach. This is the fundamental flaw of the Pharisees and to some degree the apostles at times and that he would use this scenario to really exemplify that is a huge gift to me. Now it's threatening because I have a role and I have people that depend on me to kind of stay status quo and that's that's an inner working for me trying to figure out how do I how can I be more like this woman? 
uh, versus the person on the side saying, yeah, you're a dog or how offended I am that you said dog. Uh, and so that that's what this really leaves with me, this idea of thinking, man, God is a patient, patient teacher. Am I willing to learn? Thank you so much for listening. Jason and I continue to be blessed by the process of recording these shows and hearing your reaction to them. In that vein, if you want to get a hold of us to share a thought, ask a question, or even suggest a passage for a future episode, you can do that through a variety of different ways. You can comment on the podcast Facebook page. You can send Jason or I a message if you know us. You could also email us at amazedandperplexed at gmail.com or reach out to us via our website, amazedandperplexed.com. Also, if you've benefited from these discussions, we would humbly ask that you consider sharing this podcast with someone you think would get something out of it. We want Amazed and Perplexed to be a blessing to as many people as possible. Grace, peace, and love.